Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we continue our series through the life and ministry of Jesus as we prepare for Easter Sunday. This morning we find ourselves in John chapter 9 when Jesus healed the man who was blind from birth. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God Almighty, written for you and written for me. As he passed by, he, Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, 
just this past week, Stephanie and I were having dinner with some friends who got a new puppy, a miniature dachshund, okay? One of, I would say, arguably the cutest dogs I have ever seen. And while we were eating, this little tiny baby puppy slept in my lap the entire time. It was just, it was a wonderful experience. Um, and I can't remember what elicited her comment, the owner of the dog. I don't know if I said something like, as I was patting the dog, I don't know if I said, this dog's in heaven or something like that, but, but it prompted her to ask me then, well, David, do you think that dogs go to heaven? Do you think that animals go to heaven? Now, that's a tough question when that precious dog is sitting in your lap right there in terms of how you're going to answer. Well, I gave her a different answer than I would have given 20 years ago when I said the other night, I don't know. Because I don't know. You know, I do think we have every reason to believe that there will be animals in glory, but whether or not they are the animals that we have loved and enjoyed, I don't know. It really is an interesting question, and I'll leave that to the Lord Jesus for us to discover in glory. Now, as the disciples were walking along, they had a question, okay, when they saw a man blind from birth begging, it sparked their curiosity. And since they were with someone who knew all the answers and had all knowledge, they asked him, why was this man who's begging, how is it that he was born blind? Okay, and I guarantee you that if we were walking with Jesus and seeing all that his disciples saw, and experiencing all that they experienced, we would have lots of questions, okay? We'd have our Rolodex of questions, and we would be asking the same things. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to, to notice and observe how Jesus answered what he had to say and what he did and what we can learn from that, because there's lots to learn from this text. It's very convicting and very encouraging. Okay, let's look at the text. You have the text in your insert, or you can look in your Bible. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. As he, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Okay, and I think they saw him because, obviously, he was begging. Uh, think of, you know, I'm sure all of you have seen panhandlers at the intersection, okay, who are asking for various kinds of money and perhaps have a little cardboard sign, you know, and if you have young children, it's not at all uncommon that when you pull up, if you're close to the person, that the children want to know, you know, who is this person, and how is it that they came here, and why are, in these, why are they in this situation, and, you know, what's going on here? And the disciples were like that, okay? They wanted to know what was going on, and in particular, Disciples wanted to know why he was born blind, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, this is really an interesting question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That tells you about the worldview of people in the first century. What did the disciples just take for granted? What did they simply assume was the case? 
they assumed that this was the effect of some kind of divine retribution, okay? They assumed that someone sinned because this person was born blind, okay? They assumed that it was either the child, I'm not sure how that would be possible for a little boy to sin in utero, okay? But they're asking Jesus, was it his sin or the sin of his parents that he was born blind? And often that's what people assumed in the first century and even beyond that that something had to have happened for this to be the case. People often assumed and, and stigmatized people that faced a variety of trials, that something had to happen. There must be something that they did to warrant this particular difficulty. And thankfully, Jesus offered a corrective. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him, which would have been very confusing probably to the disciples at this point, but they were going to find out exactly what he meant. And I'll say this too. I think Jesus' response was a wonderful thing, a very encouraging thing, because as I said before, people were often shamed and stigmatized when they, um, maybe when they were born with, a particular disability or faced you know a really difficult time they were shamed and stigmatized as if they were the object of God's wrath as if they were the object of God's judgment you know um, in the first century if you were a woman who struggled with fertility everyone would just infer from that that there was something wrong with you that you had done something wrong you had sinned in some kind of significant way which was often not the case. More often than not, it's just a byproduct of living in a very broken and very fallen world. And Jesus is clearing up that important fact this morning. Verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, he, Jesus, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva... Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. You know, you may wonder why he did this. I think he did this on purpose to offend the Pharisees, okay, because of their legalistic ways, because they would view something like this as a violation of the Sabbath, maybe violating uh, rabbinical laws against kneading or something like that. Jesus could have just declared his sight restored, but he uses this intermediate step of he molded mud and put it on the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He was doing this on purpose because it was the Sabbath and he was trying to clarify things. So having said these things in verse 6, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. John tells us what that meant. That means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now that phrase, came back seeing, I think is a very loaded phrase. And we'll see why. When Jesus, uh, when the man comes back, Jesus wasn't there. And the neighbors are absolutely stunned. They are amazed. You know, John calls them neighbors because these people would have grown up with this man who was born blind and had been forced into begging. And they were 
absolutely incredulous that, I'm just making up a name, that Joseph could see. How is it possible that Joseph can see? Okay, later in, in Joseph's testimony, again, we don't know his name, Joseph remarks, the man remarked, that nothing like this had ever happened in the history of the world. And so these neighbors are completely shocked. They grew up with him, and they are struggling to kind of process what happened. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, like, hello, I'm the man. You know, there's lots of, of, of critical scholars that would doubt the historicity of this account. They would say something like this is impossible. But this story has all the marks of truth. It makes total sense why they would not have recognized him when he got back. Why do you think that's the case? That some of the people didn't recognize him when he came back seeing. Well, if you were to look at pictures of someone who was born blind, okay, and even look at some of their facial features and maybe how perhaps maybe underdeveloped um, areas around their eyes are and they always keep their eyes closed. And for this man to come back, and have his sight restored, I guarantee you that his very appearance would have changed somewhat. This is exactly what would have happened when the guy came back seeing. They would have been stunned it didn't look like him, but they knew that it was him. And so they're just, they're incredulous. Verse 10, so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Notice what happens next. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, why in the world would these neighbors have done that? I don't think there was any malice. I don't think they were trying to turn him in to what they perceived to be the Gestapo or anything like that. So why did they do it? And why did the man go? The fact that they took him to the Pharisees and the fact that he went indicated they did not expect what happened next, okay? They could not have imagined how unreasonable the Pharisees were about to be. I'll give you a little hint. If you go down to verse 22, the second half of verse 22, John is making a parenthetical remark. Okay, in the, um, in the middle of verse 22, it says, John remarks, the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess... Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And so you might be saying, well, why would there, um, why would the fact that they were so adversarial to Jesus, why would that cause 
the neighbors to take the man to the Pharisees. I think what they were trying to do is to try to say, you've got the wrong idea about him, you know, because the Pharisees always referred to Jesus as what? A sinner. Okay, obviously that was not a compliment, okay? They viewed him to be a lawbreaker. You'll see in the text, they viewed him to be somebody who was anti-Moses. They viewed him to be a heretic, okay? And so these neighbors had experienced and borne witness to an undeniable miracle. And so I think the neighbors take the man who had been blind from birth, they took him to the Pharisees to say, see, you need to reconsider your views about this person called Jesus. So I don't think it was malice. Go to verses 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees a man who had been who had formerly been blind, John tells you. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. That, that detail is very significant, verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others, so there's like a dispute among the Pharisees. But others, meaning others of the Pharisees said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Now that's the million dollar question. Because it would be impossible for a sinner to do these kinds of things. And that's exactly what Jesus had done. And there was a division among them. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. Now let's stop for a moment. Why were they so adversarial against Jesus? So from an academic standpoint, why were the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees so adversarial to Jesus. It's not just that they were jealous, okay, because they were all looking for the Messiah to come. It's the fact that they could not reconcile how Jesus interacted with their oral tradition, okay? So as a technical matter, did Jesus break the Sabbath by taking the mud and anointing the man's eyes with it? Did he break the fourth commandment, yes or no? No, he did not. Did he violate their oral tradition? Yes, he did. You see, a couple hundred years before this, maybe 300 years before this, Israel came under the rule and reign of the Greeks. And Israel started to become Hellenized. In other words, the Greek way of life, the Greek language started to infuse Judaism. And partially in response to that, to stop that, to stem the tide of that Hellenization, that's how the Pharisees and the Sadducees evolved. Those two classes of people evolved to guard the Jewish way of life. Okay, and so in order to protect their laws and their ways of life and their culture, 
They developed more laws. They built a variety of fences around God's law to make sure they did not lose their Jewish identity. So they did not become more Greek. But you know what the accretion of laws like that does. It created a massive system of legalism. And over time, the Jews couldn't differentiate between the oral tradition that the Pharisees created and the actual law of Moses. And the people had become slaves to the law and bound up to the law. And that's why Jesus did this miracle the way that he did on the Sabbath, to show them he wasn't against the Old Testament. He was against their misunderstanding of the Old Testament. So like, for example, look at our confession of faith that Nate led us through. They wanted to kill Jesus. They tried to kill Jesus after he says, before Abraham was, ego me. Before Abraham was, I am. They knew exactly what Jesus was doing and equating himself with God Almighty. According to their understanding of the Old Testament, that was the essence of blasphemy. So from their perspective, Jesus was a sinner who was violating the Old Testament, equating himself with God, so there's no way that he can be the Messiah. Okay, let's go back to the text. So after they interact with this person, okay, they go into full investigation mode. Because their world, their understanding, their paradigm was being turned upside down. Look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Notice this qualification, until, which indicates there was a point when they did believe that the man had been healed by Jesus. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until something happened, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Okay, after this interview or this interrogation of the parents, they couldn't deny that the miracle has hap had happened. Verse 20, his parents answered, and they're afraid. They are so afraid. Notice how limited in scope their answer is. They understand they're being cross-examined and everything they said could and would be used against them in a court of law. His parents answered, we know that this is our son and daddy was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Then John explains their reticence, verse 22. His parents said these things. In other words, they limited the scope of their answer, just like all I'm saying to you, I can confirm to you if your question to us is, was he born blind? I can confirm that. He was born blind. After that, they're saying, we, we can't comment. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. 
For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Being excommunicated, being thrust out of the synagogue, is, is, there's, there's really no modern parallel to that. To be a part of, of synagogue life in a small town in ancient Israel, that would have been your whole mode of existence. Today, it would be like um, living in a very small town and someone posting on social media your most personal and embarrassing of sins, posting it for the whole town to see, such that the only way you could survive would be to leave town. You would be so ostracized and so judged. For this man to be cast out or his parents to be cast out would be just a, a terrible thing. Here we go. So now that the miracle has been established, the Pharisees go into massive damage control mode, okay? They can't deny it. So look at the other side of your insert. Verse 24. Okay, so now they're going to bring the man back in for questioning. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. What does that mean? What do you think they were saying? Give glory to God, for we know that this man is a sinner. Okay, they were trying to pressure him into saying, Okay, God's the one who healed me. I give glory to Yahweh, not Jesus. Jesus had nothing to do with it. They were pressuring him to say that. They're saying, if you'll just give glory to God, if you'll ascribe this miracle to the Lord and not to Jesus, everything will be fine, okay? And this thing will just kind of quietly fade away. But the man doesn't cooperate. Verse 25, he answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know that I, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? See, they know the answer to this question. Why are they asking this question? They're trying to discredit Jesus. Verse 27. He answered them, I've already told you. You can just, I mean, can't you like identify with his frustration and his, his exasperation? He's like, we've done this. We've already gone through this routine. He answered, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? Okay, that was sarcastic, okay? They didn't appreciate that. Verse 28. This is exactly how this would have gone. Verse 28. And they reviled him. They were so offended that he would get sarcastic with them. And he reviled them, and they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple." But we are the disciple of Moses. Now, isn't that the problem? Here they have the one that everything in the law of Moses testified to. And yet they insisted that they were disciples of Moses rather than disciples of Jesus. Verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know 
where he comes from. In other words, we don't know, but we know he can't come from God. Okay, because he violated their oral tradition. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. He's like, hello, people. Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now notice who the theologian is now. This man who knew next to nothing. But because of his encounter with Jesus, he is teaching the Pharisees. Verse 34, they answered him. You can just feel them, sense them, sneering at him in their pride and hubris. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out, meaning they excommunicated him right there. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, isn't that amazing, the graciousness, the loving kindness of Jesus to move toward the man after the man had been excommunicated. Jesus heard that he had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man was another term for the Messiah. Verse 36, he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And notice that Jesus receives his worship because that was the right thing to do. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. That those who do not... I mean, this is the, the whole... This whole story is really an acted parable, a truly acted parable. And verse 39 is the secret to it all. For judgment I came into this world. That those who do not see may see, and those who see, or think they see, may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, you know, they're offended, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, or because you think that you see, your guilt remains. So here's the point. By restoring the man's sight, by healing him of his blindness, he was demonstrating what happens to those who humble themselves to trust in Jesus. They see. They truly see. They see spiritually. That's the end result of all this. The blind beggar, by the end of the account, was made to truly see how by seeing Jesus. Spiritual sight, true sight, only comes to those who humble themselves and trust in him and rely on him rather than their own understanding. You know, it was the pride of the Pharisees that kept them from drawing the right conclusion that this man was the Messiah. You know, there's... Um, you know, so many people go through life relying on their own understanding and discount, discounting the claims of Jesus.
because they just can't be true. You know, and there's so much about life that in our limited understanding we can't make sense of. But Jesus calls us to trust him. Okay? Here we have a precious boy. A precious boy who was born blind. I don't know about you, but to me that's the definition of tragic. And he didn't do anything to deserve it. And neither did his parents. Jesus answered his disciples. This man was born this way so that the glory of God might be revealed. And of course it was. But we don't always get a reason like the disciples got and like the man got. The main point is this. True sight comes from believing in Jesus and looking to him for salvation. The Pharisees were disciples of Moses when they needed to become disciples of Jesus. Many people today are, are disciples of um, and I don't say this condescendingly, but just many people today are disciples of science, they're disciples of philosophy, and they just know that Jesus can't be who he claimed to be. It's impossible. Okay, and before Jesus opened your eyes and gave you a new heart and gave you eyes to see, that's what you thought, and that's what I thought. Verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment... I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see or think they see may become blind. True sight, beloved, comes from trusting in Jesus and keeping our eyes on him. We don't have to see everything or understand everything. We just have to keep the eyes of our hearts on him. And that, my friends, is what it means to see. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you have done. Father, apart from your grace and your work in our hearts, we would be just like those Pharisees who couldn't see the forest for the trees. Father, we thank you for exchanging our stony hearts for soft hearts, Father, we thank you that you have done for us what you did for that blind man. Father, we thank you that you have given us eyes to see the beauty and wonder of the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Father, we thank you for the sight that we do receive by trusting in him. And Father, we do pray all the days of our life that you would keep the eyes of our hearts fixed solely on him. In his matchless name we pray. Amen.